You've been in my life so long. I can't remember anything else. Now do something for me. It's easy. Just... getting better I, I, I feel I felt pretty good about that last one and uh, you know I mean it, Andy was a great guest so he kind of came in and uh, took the ball and which is great so like you know he said he was ready to talk and boy was he ever ready to talk <laughs> My, I know I was actually surprised that I didn't get like uh, morning after emails saying uh, you gotta cut that Rick Nielsen stuff out like that can't be on podcast oh from <laughs> so, me or from andy no from probably from andy or from both of you or either one of you yeah know. andy enjoys a little bit of uh honesty honesty frankness what's the other word we're looking for um something i don't know but that was like a sort of a megan and harry type interview that uh, you conducted with andy megan and harry <laughs> when megan you mean harry, harry and sally when harry met sally Listen, I don't know what you're talking about. I do know what you're talking about, but uh, th- we're not going to talk about it because I cannot believe everybody's talking about it as much as they're talking about it. You're talking what about the fuck Megan and Harry or or Andy and Scott. What are we talking about? We're talking about Andy and Scott. <laughs> so, welcome to the Lifers Podcast, and uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night. It'll come out on Friday. Is Friday? Is it the 11th? Yeah, I know. The 12th. The 12th. Okay, so it'll come out on Friday, uh, which will mark one year since we were pulled off the road and sent back home because of the emerging COVID epidemic. Uh, So, and it's strange. I mean, that was after our last show at the Terragram in LA. And when I was settling up to get paid that night, the guy paying me, Told me that California was closing down and that night's show would be the last at that club and LA was going to close down. And uh, so we ended up driving to San Diego the next day because nothing had been officially canceled yet, uh, even though South by Southwest had already been canceled the week before. So we should have known it was over a long time ago at that time. So we said, Fuck it, and we drove uh, to San Diego because Hot Snakes were playing at the Belly Up that night, and that's where we were supposed to play. Uh, the next night was the Belly Up. So we had a night off. We went to go see Hot Snakes, uh, and then Hot Snakes ended up being the last show I saw in a club for a, a year. Um, 
So our show did get canceled, and we ended up having to drive from San Diego back to Chicago, which is about as far away as we could have gotten from home without falling into the ocean. And we were a little freaked out driving back, but we thought everything was going to be okay, you know. Uh, but if you had told me back then that I'd be a year later, I'd still be sidelined and unable to do our job, I think I would have fucking freaked out. Um, so it's really weird that it's been a year, and and I'm glad, you know, I wasn't able to tell me a year ago that this is going to go on for a year because I don't know what I would have done, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I had a film festival that was supposed to go start like April third last year, and it got canceled after six months of preparation, like three yeah. weeks before the festival was supposed to start, like maybe two weeks. And it was like, you can't, like the university said, we're shutting down. It's all over. And right. if you had told me then the same thing that like, that our 2021 festival was also going to be strictly an online affair, I would have said no fucking way. Right. Uh, right. But here we, here we are. Tour booked to coincide with the new record, which was coming out in April called lifers. Uh, and we thought we might, be able to make that back then. It seemed possible at the time that we'd get things together. And, uh, you know, then we had the show booked for Taste of Chicago. We were going to play with Liz Fair. It was going to be in July at Grant Park, which I was super excited about. I'd always wanted to play there. And, you know, we kept hoping that that was going to happen. And then every day, it just, you know, it seemed more and more that there's just no way it was going to happen. I was talking to people at Metro when that happened. And they're like, no, nothing's going to happen until the fall, which then sounded crazy. But if I had known that in actuality, it would be fall of this year. <laughs> but here's I want to say two yeah. sort of not uh, one sort of silver lining thing that I keep thinking about lately. And maybe okay. you, and you'll tell me whether that's right or wrong. No, but before I'm down that, with silver linings. Well, it hasn't happened yet. So I don't know if okay. this is but <laughs> right. the the the. Um, the thing that I find amazing is you think of all of the bands out there that were touring and were intending to tour, were intending to play live shows over the last year, you know, thousands of them, thousands and thousands. How many yeah. bands do you think are out there doing their shit? 10,000, 20,000, 30, I mean, who can even count how many bands there are out there, yeah. right? Yeah. But then you'd say, how many bands figured out ways to do some live shows during the pandemic to like legit audiences out in the wild? And I think that, that those tens of thousands of bands shrink down to, fuck, maybe you can count them on two hands, maybe? And you yeah. were one of them. Yeah, no, I, I am proud of that. I'm proud of the way that we were able to pivot. But, you know, I think a lot of bands did that and a lot of businesses did that. And that was really interesting to see uh, what bands did and what businesses did to survive. Um, you know, you saw like bars, for instance, you, you know, opening up outside and doing things outside. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, you see and you hope that when everything starts to go back to normal, that they keep doing that, you know, and... And the way that we started to figure out new ways to do things and new ways to communicate with people who listen to us uh, was good too. And I, and, I, and I hope that we continue to do that. Because when I went back home and people were starting to do uh, like little live stream 
covers mm-hmm. and stuff. I think Melissa Etheridge was the first time I heard somebody was doing one. And I was like, ah, well, Melissa Etheridge already did it. Well, who needs me to do it? Fuck it. I'm not going to do that. And then, you know, one day I was having a drink and I said, yeah, I'll just cover a, I don't know. What was your first cover? I think it was Blue Oyster Cult. It was Don't Fear the Don't Reaper. Don't Fear the Reaper. Don't God, Fear the Reaper. Yeah. I was feeling pretty dark. <laughs> I was watching a bunch of uh, uh, Contagion type movies. I was watching Contagion. I was watching all the uh, George Romero movies. I was really leaning into it at the time. Uh, um, yeah. So. All right. Here's the silver lining. The potential silver lining. And maybe it's more for fans than it is for the band itself. That's okay. But something I feel like happens to me, I love to like really know the songs uh, before I go to a concert. And yes. So when bands tour their new albums, I usually am not familiar enough with the album to fully love those shows the way I would right. if it had happened like a year into me digging that album. And now you're in a position where you're going to come out and tour lifers and everyone's going to know every note of that album and going to go fucking wild from start to finish. Right. And I, I, I see what you're doing and I, I do appreciate it. But, but I, I, like, uh, I, I do like that. I was thinking about that the other day because, you know, every time we put out a new record, on the day it comes out, we're on tour. Or mm-hmm. within a week, we're on tour. And that was kind of almost going to be what happened with this record. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do like that, uh, you know, maybe against our will, but I do like the fact that we have sort of found ourselves in this position where we can come out playing a record that people will have lived with for a year. Um, yeah, I dig that. I really do like that. Good. I'm glad that works for you too. Cause I can't wait. I am dying <laughs> to get back to a local age show and see what you have to bring. Well, we'll see. I mean, we've got we've got dates booked. Uh, the tour is supposed to happen in September. We'll see what happens. We're talking about it. It's actually supposed to happen. But this, keep in mind, this is the third time that mm-hmm. we booked this tour. So we'll see how it goes. Um, third time's the charm, they say. Third time is the charm, they say. Don't fear uh, the reaper, they say. <laughs> right, don't fear it. Was there any questions from last week's episode before we bring out our Yeah, there guest? were a ton. I mean, I don't know about a ton, but there are, there are all kinds of questions that we haven't... Give me the Gabe, question. do you have any questions? Somebody, somebody keeps asking me to ask you about uh, PJ Soul's reaction to the whole PJ Souls thing. Uh, she was really cool about it. Uh, she was... I mean, she posed for a picture on the inside of the record, so she was mm-hmm. always had given her stamp of approval. Uh, she came out to see us in L.A. a couple of times, and it was a fucking blast. She was lovely. It was, uh, it was a good time. She was wearing a Ramon shirt. God bless. Um, uh, they People have clarified that they think that this lyrics confusion is about Gig Bag Road and Pig Food pig. instead of Pig Fool, which is what this guy thought maybe you pig were Pig Float. Oh, pig float. Because mm-hmm. I was gonna say I don't know what the, I don't know what it would mean if he's saying pig food. So what is? Well, I don't even know what pig float means. Pig Can you float. The, re, the lyrics to us. Pig float is uh, so it's like what's the lyric? Marching down a gig bag road. Is that what the lyric is? I, I think it is. You're looking so, at us. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for Gabe to jump in. Uh, like it, it's a march, you know. So 
uh, a pig float is a uh, is a uh, a reference to to Pink Floyd to animals the the, the oh, floating awesome. pig. Sure. So the idea is that you know in this little parade of Gig Bag Road, we're never gonna have we're never gonna be Pink Floyd. We're never gonna have a, a pig floating pig. We're never gonna have a pig float. So I think that was kind of the idea with that. But yeah, I couldn't make, figure out pig fool. At all, it, it, it was it was vexing me. It's because you guys are vegetarians, uh, and somebody wants to know if you guys are vegans. But I think the answer to that is no, because you've talked about going to sushi restaurants. So, no, resounding no. Right. No, veganism is is it's just it's very hard. I mean, you got to be very disciplined. I'm I'm a I'm a Taco Bell vegetarian, so. <laughs> I don't know what that. What does that mean? <laughs> that means, means that. The, the only place you can go to when we were when we were touring back in the in the nineties, the only place we can go to was Subway or Taco Bell to get vegetarian food because right. get a taco with no meat or a burrito with no meat or a sub with no meat, and then it just lasted for years while I was eating nothing but Taco Bell and Subway, and and that doesn't that doesn't add up. Right, it's not like that anymore, Gabe. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> that. But uh, but yeah, so you Gabe's, need to get back out on the road, Gabe. It's yeah. all it's a, the world is now your oyster. Gabe's kind of a vegetarian so that doesn't like vegetables. Yeah. Oh, I dig that. Yeah, that's yeah. what my wife says, and and I guess it's semi-true, but uh, I, I don't know. I think it's very true. All right, let's change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> people wanted to answer, people wanted to know the, the answer to the question: uh, What song from Local Age has either a pre-chorus and a chorus or whatever like that? And and I was going to mention one, and you couldn't think of one. Do you remember that? Yeah. What did well, you come up can with? we stop for a second and tell, explain to people what that even means? A, a pre-chorus? Uh, or let's talk about the elements of a song. Go ahead, okay. Scott. You're a songwriter. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk oh, about... Oh, yeah. This is a great intro to our We're going to talk about song structures. Um, and, and this came up last week. Uh, Gabe and I were talking about this Genesis song. Um, it's going to get better. So a, a pre-chorus is basically uh, a, a bridge before the chorus. It's, it's, it's a part that changes before the chorus comes in. You know, you usually start with a verse, unless it's a song that starts with the chorus. Uh, you usually start with a verse, and then uh, you can go to a second section that'll set up the chorus, and then the chorus comes in. I was going to I was going to ask you if you would bring your acoustic to this show because it might be fun for you to demonstrate these things but even without your acoustic let's take the song All the Kids Are Right which to me has as many okay. hooks and and sections of a song as as a local age song probably has. So talk about those different parts of that song and what they're labeled in your mind like verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, well, we got whatever. Yeah, I mean, it starts off with the verse, basically. You've got the sure. verse, and then it comes in with the second verse. Which is what? Uh, when the drums oh, kick in. Just another verse. Yeah, another verse. And then the drums kick in. That's the second verse. Uh, and then the chorus comes in. Which is Finally, after part. the second verse. The, all the kids, they hold a grudge. That's the chorus. That's the chorus. Which is interesting, because in the original version of that song, that was the bridge, which is... We're going to get into some of this later on when we talk about this Genesis song. But originally that was the bridge. And I realized that the bridge was the hookiest part of the song. Mm -hmm. So I made that the chorus. Um, 
So it's first verse, chorus, solo, verse, double chorus. Uh, you know, and I mean, that's, that's not, that, that, that's a pretty standard type of um, structure right there. But isn't there another part in that song as well? Or does it just sound like that? Because I think to listeners, and you were talking about the fact that you have like what you consider the worst ear. And I was going to ask you what that means. Does that mean that when you listen to songs, it's hard for you to figure out right. the chords and that shit? It's hard for me to pick stuff out with, with, with the ear. I mean, I, I can pick out uh, structures and things like that, but I, you know, I couldn't tell you what key it is and right. it, it would take me a second to figure out the chords. But like two thirds of the way through all the kids are right. It feels to me like there's other things that start happening either with just the vocal melody. And it's hard for me to tell whether there's new chord progressions underneath the, those things or whether you're just singing different stuff over the same two parts of the song. Well, each verse is slightly shorter than the last. So the, the first verse, that's just the guitar and vocal, is the longest verse. And then when the drums come in, it's a little bit shorter. And then on that third verse, it's shorter still. And, and But there's a part at the end, hearing. towards the end, that I'm not going to sing because it would be embarrassing. But it's mm -hmm. like you, uh, you know, it almost sounds like you're transposing the keys. Like you start singing higher. Right. Uh, not transposing the keys. I'm just... Right. I'm just... Uh, pushing the vocal melody up. And there's no line. new chord progression there. It's nope. You're just singing over the same chords that you play for the chorus. No. I'm not a huge fan of uh, modulations. Uh, right. No, I get that. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but there, but you don't, there's nothing, there's no point in the song where you introduce a third uh, sort of uh, pattern or anything. Kind of during the guitar solo. Okay. But, what know, do you call I mean, that? You could call that the guitar solo <laughs> or, or the instrumental bridge. Or uh, I remember uh, Ozzy used to call them the middle eight. Mm -hmm. um, so the Beatles yeah, middle eight, the, the bridge eight. is yeah, right. the same thing. So that song has a middle eight. But then do you ever sing over that middle eight? It doesn't really have a bridge. It's more like an instrumental section. So it, I can't really say it's a bridge. Okay. Uh, but it did have a bridge. Right. When it was called lead pipe cinch but but then uh oh uh, yeah worked on that song a lot like kept changing it and changing lyrics and uh it, it was worth it but but uh it just kept kept changing things like just little by little um so yeah but then we also used the a demo version of um bound to the floor which also has a part that didn't make it into the final version of the song which is also yeah. a bridge that was definitely a bridge but that was a bridge, a bridge, a bridge too far a bridge too far <laughs> it's clearly a bridge too far it was just not I very good not needed quiet is what that was <laughs> that was kind of uh shoehorned in there from another song um mm. and that was just overwritten there's just too much in there it was unnecessary um and once you took it out you're like oh okay the song works I mean, it, it is super simple and super repetitive. Uh, and it. I think at one point I didn't think I could get away with that. I was like, I need something in there. Something's got to go in there. Um, and sometimes something does have to go in there and sometimes it doesn't. But sometimes you're not talented enough to put something in there. So you should just fucking leave it alone. And I think that's what was going on right there. <laughs> hmm. Wow. 
What else? Well, you the, got the, there, song Gabe? Was, the song that I was thinking of that had a had a pre-chorus that that would uh, would make sense would be uh, Sports Bar. Yeah, Sports Bar has a total pre-chorus. I mean, that's what I was thinking too. That, that's uh, that's about as pre-chorusy as pre-choruses get. It it's like the ABCs <laughs> pre-choruses. <laughs> Uh, Jeremy wanted to know, um, could you talk about the difference between an A record and a B record? Because you did talk about oh. A records versus B records when you were talking to Andy. I think uh, an A record is when you're trying to make it as tight as possible and you know you want all the songs to be quote-unquote hits, right? And a B record is when you kind of want to take more left turns and... You know, like Howley on a Bum is a B record. Lifers is an A record. Uh, as Good as Dead is an A record. And, uh, you know, uh, PJ Souls is kind of a B record. But just A and B doesn't mean better. It's just like I, I can sort of see that one's more focused and the other one doesn't really care about the focus. You know, it's like... I, would you call the White Album a B record? I mean, it's my yes. favorite record. So, I mean, I prefer records like that in some ways. Um, right. But you would say their A record is Sgt. Pepper's. And I know Gabe prefers a, a Beatles B record. Which one? Magical Mystery Tour? I mean, it's only because it wasn't overplayed, but and there's some, some really, really good songs on there. But uh, Help is actually my favorite Beatles album. Ooh, when did that start? It's always been that way since I was a kid. Like side A of help is just back to back to back, nonstop hooks, and you just can't you can't get enough of it. You got to play it over and over. It's an A record. Yes. Yeah. But what would be their B record? I guess to follow up help, you might say, you know, what, Revolver or Rubber Soul. I don't know. Mm, I think those are both A records as well. At what, point, here, he would know. at what point in the process do you think about whether you're making an A record or a B record? Is it after? It's kind all of said right and done at the beginning. Or? Oh, it is? Yeah. Pretty much right in the, the very beginning. It, it could change, but you, you sort of have an idea like before you even start. Like, this is what I want to do with this record. And usually it's a reaction to the last record. It's like, well, that last record was super tight. And I, I like all that. It's like, let's get a little weird with this record. So um, I, so sometimes I, that I, it's not the way it yeah. works out. But usually at the beginning, I know exactly what, what I kind of want to do. Well, I want to I wanna ask you then specifically about your last two albums. Because to me, Hey Killer is just as much an A record as Lifers. Yes. But are, do you not think that? Oh, you do right. think that. So it's not always a reaction. I do think like, yeah. Lifers is not a reaction to Hey Killer. Yeah. Uh, only in the sense that it's like, all right, let's keep this going. Let's let keep mm-hmm. the the yeah. Let's keep the pressure on. Let's keep the foot on the pedal. Um, yeah, and yeah. So our guest tonight is uh, a guy that um, if I'm in a club or a bar or at a show, and this guy walks in, I know my night is about to instantly get better. I know that things are about to get interesting. We've got Steve Rydell on the show tonight, also known as Steve Sleeve or Steve Sleeve. He's one half of world-famous mashup kings, the Hood Internet, as well as a member of hip-hop duo Air Credits. And he plays bass in Black Moth Super Rainbow. I didn't know that. It's true. 
It's true. Are you still doing that? I mean, uh, as Black much Moth, as one can. Yeah, I mean, as much as as much as uh, the touring schedule has been real heavy this last year. Yeah, and a half. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I'm still in the band. <laughs> Pretty sure. I get it. I, uh, he was also an early yacht rock enthusiast with his Stay Smooth cruises. Uh, he used to work at Metro. He's a pillar of the Chicago indie scene. He's also a huge fucking Genesis fan who released a track-by-track cover of Duke almost exactly a year ago. It's true. 40th anniversary of the record. That's right. He's also been doing this thing with Hood Internet where he mashes up every song from a specific year into, is it, like, is it always a 90-second track? or? Uh, the first one we did, 79 through... Uh through 89 those are three minutes and then once we got into the 90s we had to get it up to uh three three and a half minutes nice so much stuff to fit in there so 96 by the time people are hearing this will have been released yesterday and we haven't heard it yet because it's wednesday but uh you know my band released a song in 96 so i've heard of your i've heard of your band (laughs) Are, are we on this thing are we on this one i've been waiting uh you'll have to wait until tomorrow to find out even though by the time this airs, it will already have happened. And you'll so have you'll to, have to wait until the past, is what I'm saying. And you'll have to wait until Friday to see if you're actually on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just these long gaps of silence. <laughs> so, Steve, welcome. Thanks for thanks for, thanks thanks for, for having this. me. Yeah. Last week we were talking about uh, the song by Genesis. It's going to get better, and I was trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with the structure. So I texted Steve, and I was kind of like, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know what's going on. So I figured, let's have him come on the show, because none of us here are necessarily what you'd call Genesis fans. Gabe, you're not, are you? I wouldn't say I'm a fan, no, just a casual listener. And what about you, Ben? I kind of, I, I, had, a, I had a Genesis phase. The first two albums I, ever, I bought, or I think were in 1979, were uh, Breakfast in America and get the knack those aren't genesis records i know but the (laughs) next two albums i bought were duke and peter gabriel's third album and i'm probably not the only one who did this where i bought those albums having no idea that there was a connection between them um Hmm. i'd heard um turn it on again and probably misunderstanding on the radio and loved them and was like oh i need this album and then i'd heard Games Without Frontiers, amazingly, on FM radio in New York, and was like, "Oh, I need this," and went out and bought those two albums. So, Interesting. Uh, but I never, it never, and, and I saw Genesis once, probably on the Abacab tour. Um, by yeah, the way, all of all of that is right around the same time. Yeah. Well, Steve knows that I am not a Genesis fan. Uh, Scott's been very vocal. Very about vocal. That. We've had many many conversations about it, but uh, I don't want to spend this whole time shitting on genesis and phil collins <laughs> uh so so we have the biggest genesis fan i know here uh and kind of the first genesis fan like like they're your favorite band right uh i wouldn't say that but i do i've i had you know like a real some of the first songs i remember liking as a kid were genesis songs that i heard on the radio and that just sort of established itself into a lifelong love, really, of this is not maybe the most popular Genesis stance, but the Phil Collins era of Genesis yeah. is is my shit. Right, right. And and Duke is your favorite record. It's uh, Duke is one that resonated with me 
way later um because i was two when it came out um so i like i wasn't quite connecting with those songs like it was like when invisible touch was on the radio that's when i sort of oh. under understood <laughs> oh sir just take it easy take oh, it easy my God. <laughs> i was gonna say you're not one of those invisible touch people are you <laughs> i mean i was like seven yeah so yes the answer is yes yes uh, but you know, I, I expanded in, into the entire Phil Collins uh, era catalog from there. Yeah. <laughs> all what, right. What's your favorite Genesis song of all time, Steve? Oh man, um, it might that it changes, but it might be Behind the Lines. Which one is that? Mm-hmm. It's the opener on Duke. Opener, right. opener on a lot of tours too, but they don't, they, they shortened it to like a, a live version where they kind of skip a lot of the instrumental part and go straight to the, uh, like straight to the verse part of the song uh-huh. in this like prog turning pop era. There is a lot of stuff that it just feels like here's the prog part. Here's the pop part. And right. The red meat for the early fans. Mm hmm. And behind the lines is one of those songs, but as a whole, as a whole piece, it is is a jam. Great album opener, great tour opener. Yeah, I mean, it surprises me, like, like how much sometimes Phil Collins just does sound like uh, uh, Peter Gabriel, like, like, right? I mean, that's you know, they what both have the same kind of phrasing and and really like getting back to this record, like Mama is a real. It's almost like that that feels like it could have been a Peter Gabriel song. Yeah. Um but I I I hear what you're saying. And there was um uh I was uh doing some research about this era. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they did Peter Gabriel was like trying to fund this concert around this time. Uh like some I'm forgetting the name of it already. Uh he's trying to fund some big concert uh like a world music concert that like was going belly up. It was not doing well. Uh-huh. So like Genesis at the time, like post Peter Gabriel leaving, got back together to do one show with Peter Gabriel and Steve Hackett, um, who like showed up late and only did the last two songs. Uh, But they did when they did. So they were doing some Genesis songs, some Peter Gabriel songs. And when they did turn it on again, Peter Gabriel played the drums. What? Uh, I know. This is what this is what I read. And there's no footage Oh, I had no idea he could play drums. Is it that Womad thing? It is. It was Womad. Yep, that's it. Remember that uh, Steve Hackett instrumental when he was in that band with Steve Howe? And the band was called GTR. Mm -hmm. And so it was led by two guitar players, Steve Howe from Yes and Steve Hackett from Genesis. And uh, they each had their own instrumentals. And uh, Steve Hackett's instrumental was called Hackett to Bits. (laughs) <laughs> which I always thought was special. But the best part about that record is the review in Rolling Stone was one word, or not even a word. It was SHT. GTR SHT. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, that was the predecessor to the one time Pitchfork reviewed a Jet album and just linked to a YouTube video of like a, uh, of like a monkey peeing in its own mouth. <laughs> Or or probably more appropriately, the Spinal Tap review shit sandwich. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Scott, I, uh, oh yeah, go ahead. How did you wind up listening to the song that we're going to talk about? 
All right. That's a Here, great question. I had the same question. Here's the thing. Okay. <laughs> because of all the obscure shit Genesis songs, this might be a top contender. I don't even understand how this happened. What, you don't like this song that we're going to talk about? No, it's fine. Okay. I don't, well, I don't, I don't want to say. So I had to drive to New York a couple of weeks ago, and it, you know it's a long drive. And somebody put on... a. Something from a Toto Toto record, uh, Toto seventy eight record, the uh, Georgie Porgy, and I was like, "What the hell is this? I'd never heard of it." And then, "Oh, this is Toto," and I was kind of like, "Maybe I should start getting into Toto because I fucking hate Toto too." And <laughs> and I thought maybe I should start listening to Toto. And I started listening to that record. I was like, "No, no, I should not listen to this." And I I, that's the I, one you need. Uh, I'd been thinking about this Genesis record for a while and that I should go back and check it out because uh, it, it was the only Genesis record I owned. I had it on a cassette and I think I primarily bought it because of Mama. Um, so I at least wanted to go back and listen to Mama and see if it held up. And, you know, as, as kind of uh, sort of in the air tonight type of continuation, uh, I mean, I like it better than in the air tonight. I think it's still it's still pretty savage, I guess. I mean, you know, do you like Mama? I do. Steve? It's it's not the standout on the record for me. I know it was like one of the biggest I think it's the biggest single in the UK was Mama uh for that record. Weird. Um and I like that it it just sort of it's almost a one riff song. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's kind of meditating around the same idea. I think it's a great album opener. It is weird that it was the biggest single because the some of the other songs on the record I I assumed were way bigger. But I guess I guess maybe that chart data was just for the UK and you know they're very weird about Genesis over there where Genesis is from. Right. Unlike unlike the refined Americans. <laughs> right. So <laughs> what song did you think was uh what what song are your favorite on that Genesis record? I mean that's all is a mm-hmm. classic. I mean, and you talk about that that song, that song has like three hooks in it that could be mistaken for verses. So this is a uh and then what else we got? Uh taking it all too hard. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. Uh just a job to do is it's like half of it is really good. Yeah, the Amaz- lyrics, amazing okay. hook and then just like, you know, it's a it is halfway through the B-side in terms of its verse. Right quality but the lyrics bug this shit out of me like you know that he's uh you know uh, he's a an assassin uh does that that never really washed with, with me no i could i could i mean i could see that i could see that for you <laughs> <laughs> well i i always pictured you as a second home by the sea type of guy well, see here now. When we were texting about this song the other day, I I texted you "Prague Boys in a Pop Land," and this is this like Duke, uh, probably Abacab too, uh, and this self-titled is like this transitional era where like they're still doing prog stuff. They're still like showing off their chops, but then like also really embracing the pop side of things. And that second home by the sea is like the moment where they're like, "All right, guys, Tom." Time to go prog. Uh-huh. <laughs> time, time to give him the prog shit uh, on this record. Right, and but there's an that's an amazing period in, in American like uh, pop rock. Radio, absolutely, where Abacab is a is a big radio hit. I mean, that's a crazy 
song when you think about it to be like a radio hit and, and as far as like where it go where the second half of that song goes and it just goes and goes and goes and like drifts off into outer space and right and, and it's kind of like it's it's at the same moment that yes was experiencing that same kind of thing with like owner of a lonely heart where like that's a radio hit like it you know it's like crazy but it's also it's also very well it's hooked. a lot it's a lot more uh uh refined and 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 honed uh, than their '70s stuff. I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That I mean, like I, I assume I haven't looked at the chart data, but I'm assuming that '70s stuff was not getting like tons of airplay. No, all good people. Your move is probably you know about it. Maybe some long distance run around. I mean, mm-hmm. but that's '70s. Cool. Yes, had some like yeah, had some so, FM rock radio play, but <laughs> Genesis didn't have as much. I don't think in the '70s. I can't imagine they would. <laughs> that sounded condescending. Well, follow you, follow me. Not follow you, follow, you, follow me. Was in the that 70s. was, I mean, that was that was a huge one. Yeah, it almost seemed like once Phil Collins started having hits on his solo records, the guys in Genesis were like, "Hey, we want some of that." And why don't you give that's, us some of that? Yeah, and that's totally what was also happening at this time. Was like the Mike and the Mechanics and uh-huh. Tony Banks solo stuff. Like everybody, all of the Phil like. Oh, if you're familiar with the um, the the Phil Collins solo record version of Behind the Lines from Duke, he like doubled the tempo and made it funky. But like in the when people say funky in the bad way, it's like that kind of funky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so like there was, I mean, they were they were trying it all. <laughs> yeah. So I'm listening to this record that that I had and I liked, and uh, and then this song comes on and it's it's going to get better. It's the last song on the record. I'm like, all right, one more. And then I'm done with this. Uh, and then it starts off with this great, slightly atonal bass keyboard groove that sounds like it'd be right at home on in rainbows area, Radiohead. And then the singing starts and it sounds like it's a verse, like it's a really catchy verse, but it still sounds like a verse. And then the B section comes in and that's in a minor key. And you're like, no, no, this is the verse. And then the A section comes back and, and you're like, wait, What's the chorus? What's going on? And then that keyboard group comes back and then a C section comes in. And and then that's when you're like the clouds open up and you go, oh, here's the chorus. But it's one of those really long choruses like Abba, Olivia, Newton, John. It's got a B section in the chorus. And then it's over. And then the song's over. And then I'm like, wait, was that the (laughs) what the fuck was that the chorus? So I suddenly became obsessed with this song and here we are well i have some thoughts okay (laughs) um the first one and maybe you know scott as a person who has sequenced many albums uh you can lend some some credence to this but is there a reason that it's the last song was it like you know kind of like something that worked as a final idea or did it get, did it get hidden at the end? Was it, you know, is it an album closer or just put that over there and no one will notice it kind of thing? Well, I think it's totally a great album closer. I mean, it's like the end of uh, that Soundgarden record, that song Boot Camp, where it just kind of like floats along and it's like, it's the perfect way to end the record. Somebody online uh, on (laughs) progarchives.com said, (laughs) Said that this song, I was doing some research. If you if you qualify, progarchives.com as research. 
They said this was a, quote, utterly incoherent, impotent Frankenstein of half-baked ideas, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> Which is maybe maybe a little harsh, but but what I did take from that is it may, maybe it is a little Frankenstein-y. And I think the way you're describing it, you're like, well, here's this verse, and then right. maybe it's a chorus, and it's it sort of... I mean, here's here's a record that obviously had like tons of ideas thrown at it, and you know, like I could I could see an argument for for that kind of like being a hodgepodge of some things that were left over, and they're like this kind of works uh-huh. because you're right, it really it doesn't really feel like it comes together until whatever that end thing is. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gabe and I are obsessed with songs that end with the chorus. Uh, you know, like things like. Uh, uh, it, uh, don't stop believing uh, from Journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, like almost every song on uh, Rumors ends with the chorus. A- any other songs, Gabe, that you were thinking that? You know, with the chorus? I thought of one. I thought of one earlier today. Is is would Hey Jude count for that? Yeah, yeah. There you go. And then Love and Touch and Squeeze, and we talked about that. But yeah. Hey, Hey Jude would be a big one. Turn it on again ends with the chorus, right? Somebody came yep. up with that. Yep. So we were thinking, like, is that what this is? Um, I mean, what do you think, Gabe? Well, I, I, when I first played the songs, I never heard it before until you started talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I was just trying to find something to, to hold on to, and it wasn't until the end that I really, okay, there it is, you know. But then it did it twice, and, and they were a little different each time. So I was like, well, I don't know which one was the chorus. I, 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 I don't know. But it doesn't do it twice, which is why I'm thinking it's not the chorus, because it doesn't repeat um, over and over. That's probably the the genius of it, that it it hooks you, but you don't know it. I don't know. (laughs) I did some I did some additional research on a on a guitar, a guitar tablature website, (laughs) (laughs) because all of the lyrics websites did not like designate any sort of like, you know, first verse, colon, second verse, like none of that on the lyrics websites. But the guitar tab, uh, I don't remember which site I was on, um, structures it like this Uh intro, Mm -hmm. verse, chorus, verse, bridge, outro. You could you could make a case for that. So what 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 is it again? One more. Intro. Intro. Verse. Verse. Chorus. Chorus. Verse. Verse. Bridge. So outro. The, so the low the the quiet uh, minor key part is the chorus. No way. Doesn't that make doesn't, any sense. That doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's chorus. We're throwing, the, we're throwing this one out. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, or maybe it's verse, bridge verse chorus uh or in the terms of abacab uh abac a b a c maybe you could call that well see here's the thing and if we have no other ideas uh, i think i've i think i found out what's going on here through the research that i've done uh so i was doing some research but ben do you have any other do you have any ideas I have about a, what's going on? I have a, I have a, I have a solid theory about this whole song. Okay, is it based uh, on any research you did? <laughs> yeah, it it was based on me listening to the song and and saying, wait a minute, what does this song sound like? Uh huh. And I, I really got some people get ready vibes from it, and I thought. I think what happened was that these a-holes were sitting around a studio noodling around doing a cover of People Get Ready, and at some point they sort of morphed it into their own thing, and they said, can we 
sort of smudge this up enough so that we can call it our own song. Because I think lyrically and musically, it steals a bunch of sort of people get ready stuff from it. Huh. Um, especially towards the end, the melody, the vocal melody feels like Phil Collins is sort of kind of doing people get ready with just enough difference to not get sued by Curtis Mayfield. Oh, I never thought That's of That's my that. theory. I, you can tell like the lyrics are just like sort of one uh, cliche after another, like reach out mm-hmm. throw your hands in the air. Don't care. Like all that kind of stuff. But that but, seems to be some sort of social. Yeah. Social content. Yeah. Sort of, sort of going towards that. And also mm-hmm. that, that last bit all seems like it's going towards that. Take, take me home song by Genesis. Is mm. that Genesis or is that Phil? No, that's Phil. That's Phil. That's Phil. That, that really uh, thing that would later on end up on the, Tarzan soundtrack or something like that. Uh, no, he he did he um he collabed with Bone Thugs and Harmony <laughs> on ta- on, and like redid Take Me Home. He appears in the video in Bo- in the Bone Thugs video. <laughs> the Bone Thugs that happened after the his version, or is that the same one? There's well, only it, one it, it happened way after, but they sampled it, and he does appear in the video singing the hook. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So I was doing some research, and it turns out that there's a long version of It's Gonna Get Better. Oh, wow. Shit. And the version that's on the album is an edited down version of that longer version. Ah. And I don't know why they went that way. They play the longer version on tour, or at least they played that version on the Mama tour. So clearly they like the longer version better. And most of the time when you edit a song, you edit the album version down to a shorter version for the single. But... Here's the thing. I, the long version isn't as good as the short version. So in the long version, it's uh, it's that first verse, which could be the chorus, the reach out, hands in the air. And then it's it goes to the B section, uh, which is the, you know, the verse, the minor bit. And then it goes back to the A, reach out, hands in the air. And then it goes back to the B section, which is cut in half. And then it goes back to... The, to the, the verse, chorus, whatever that is, the reach out, hands in the air bit. And then finally, the other section comes in, which in this version, clearly that last bit is the bridge. It, when you put it this way, it's clearly the bridge. And then it ends. And it kind of ruined the whole goddamn song for me. And uh, <laughs> Do you have that version on you? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, do you want to hear that? I'd love to. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Can't yeah. hear that. Can yeah. we can hear something? Yes. Yeah. Shit. That this. that keyboard sound is Tony Banks uh, trying to sample classical records to get a good string sound, but he failed and ended up just making this weird sample where he played four notes at the same at the same time and got that. Right. But now Scott. Oh, that was the short version you were starting. I was doing this short version. I got <laughs> that was out. the shortest version right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, hold on, guys. But it was working. It was. I know, but I I did the, I, I hit the short version. Oh, it's from yeah, the. the see, it's but the we can be- see the long version right underneath it. You can. There it is. Yeah. So it's the B yeah. side from the Mama single. This is. Which Ooh, also I like the commercial. The Mama single also has remote learning can be as remote as you want. The the there's also a longer version of of the Mama song that's longer than the album version, but it's just got a longer outro. It doesn't really change 
It's just got a longer solo at the end. <laughs> it's got a longer outro so people could put it in their DJ sets. Right. In 19, 1982. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that intro is great. And that bass has kind of got just the right amount of groove and atonality. So far, it's exactly the same as the short
This is the people get ready part. I can hear it now. Doing his best, Curtis Mayfield. Yeah. This part right here is very Lion King soundtrack, or uh, Tarzan soundtrack. Totally. But also very old school Genesis, too. Mm hmm. Yep. I gotta say, I feel like this long version clarifies a bunch of things. <laughs> it totally clarifies a bunch of things, and in the in the process, it all also makes it a lot less interesting <laughs> to me. Sure, <laughs> yes, but I think it makes clear that this that after the intro, this the, 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 it does start. This is a song that starts with its chorus. Yes, and that 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 that, that major key part of it is is the chorus. And then there's this outro thing, which is this melody that we haven't heard before, and it's cool. I mean, and I think there's lots of songs that do that, like have like an outro that is more soaring. And it's uh, a, you know. I mean, can can we call it a coda? It's kind of a coda. It could be a coda, mm-hmm. yeah. But I I think it. We could also call it a bridge, and I think that opens up a whole new obsession, Gabe. Uh, songs that end with the bridge. End with the bridge. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't even know where to start with this one. I, I, you're blowing my mind here. I, I don't know where you. <laughs> but we can call those bridges to nowhere because the song ends and they don't go in. They don't take you anywhere. Exactly. Off the edge of the album. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so hard to figure. Like somebody told me, "It's too late" by Carol King is a song that ends with the bridge, and I can't even think of that right now. But one song that I can't think of is "Running Scared" by Roy Orbison, and that kind of ends with the bridge. Like, all of Roy's songs would sort of end and leave you completely hanging. Like, he'd push you off yeah. the goddamn bridge. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <sighs> so, so finding, I'm really bummed, because finding this long version, mm. that, that, you're right, clarifies solves the mystery, yeah. everything, no, but it solves way. the yeah. fucking mystery. And I think that the album version is more interesting. I have a theory about this, why the album version is shorter, and I don't know. I'm just going to throw it out there. We were still in the age of vinyl in like 83, ah, maybe. Yeah. And it's not a particularly long album. I think it clocks in at like 45 or 47 minutes. But maybe they were afraid of making it too long and, and so and fucking up with the fidelity. But I don't know if that's true because I when did CDs start being a thing? I feel like it was right around there. Yeah, yeah. maybe a little bit, but not much. Probably not. I mean, CDs... Like in '82, I don't think we're enough of the market where like they were probably still making those decisions based around the vinyl length and sequencing. I would, that's a guess, but an informed guess. I feel like we kind of. I feel like I've wasted everybody's time uh, because <laughs> was that? I thought that was the goal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, it, like once I found out that there was a long version and I put two and two together, I was like, ah, fuck it. So. It's, you know, it's real. It's disappointing because you know you were already feeling some type of way about Genesis, and there you were ready to be like, "Hey, this song is it's weird. The structure is weird. It's cool," and like it it had you in, and then you found like, uh, you know, the more clarifying version, and now you're just right back to where you started. <laughs> right. 
Right. But I but I do think you open up an interesting can of worms. Can anyone think of another song where the album version is really a truncated version of a song that only makes true sense if you hear a longer version, which isn't actually the official release version of that song? And something that just occurred to me, I don't think this is the case, but remember that remember that uh, what there's a U two song off of that stupid. Um, Unforgettable Fire. Is it Easy. bad? Yeah. There's a couple of songs or a sort of homecoming. They, were, they did a couple, they did a, they put out like a live yeah. EP shortly after the album. And there's like the, the versions of those songs on the lot from the live tour are, you know, twice as long and much and better. more elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. The ver- the live versions, the, those songs are, are, they were notorious for being better live than on the records. Like those re- like especially bad really came alive. Right, bad, alive yes, version. exactly. Yep. So there you go. There's another one. No, that's that's the opposite. No, right. that's the same thing. Right. But but the but the album version I still think is more interesting. Abic, which brings us to Abacab. All right. I mean, we talk about structure. That the song's named after a song structure, right? Right. But my big question about Abacab is which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did they write this song and then realize the structure and decide we don't know? Like it's a song about it's if you take away that Abacab part of it, it seems like it's this song about some kind of creature or some kind of monster. Like Abacab is in the context of the song is a monster, something that they're scared of. It's weird they because not you have a name that, for it and decide. Let's just call it the song structure. You'd think that the guy who wrote Susudio would uh, care about the <laughs> meaning behind lyrics. I can't tell if you're being serious or not here. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> well, hey, do you know this, Steve? Because uh, uh, I, I did some research, but you probably already knew this from before. What are we talking about? About Abacab the a- Abacab? How it's, why it's the called song Abacab? Structure? Right. <laughs> that's that's not something uh, I knew um, for sure because I I would have also believed if you're like yeah the song is uh goes A B A C I would have been like yep that's what they did right and that's that's what the song is named after like it, it's the A section the B section the A section the C section A and B and that is a structure. But it's not Abacab's song structure. Um, so I was thinking we should take a listen and break down Abacab since I, since it's going to get better. It's a total failure in breaking down the song structure. And we can find <laughs> out what Abacab is supposed to be called. Cause let's, I have get a, to the, let's get to the root of this. I have Plus. a fe- feeling it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be a lot harder to pronounce after we uh, figure out what the real structure of this is. Also, Abacab just kicks, man. This is a fucking jam. So oh, I'm excited to yeah. hear it. So uh, we got to write this down. Gabe, I know you have a pen because you're always writing stuff down. I've got All one right. too. What do we got here? All right. So so here's the, before we start, the question has to be, uh, is the intro going to be the intro or is the intro going to be A? Now, I vote for the intro being the intro and we don't start naming parts until the verse. Yeah, I agree. I think it's intro is this sort of nebulous thing. And then once you kick into like something, whether it's a verse or a chorus, that's your A. Okay. So are you guys ready? Yes, go ahead. Sure. Let's try this. And by the way, the intro is the same as the outro. Yes, except it's 
not halftime. Right? I don't know about that. It's the snake eating its own tail. Yes. Okay, so here's A. A breakdown A. I got it. Not yet. Okay, so this is B. Here's B, or what would be a B. Back to A. We're on track. Abba. I'm realizing they're about to go back to B. Yep. It's B. So we're at ABBA. We are off track. <laughs> it's bad. Okay, so here's C. ABBA. ABBA. I'm trying to, yeah. ABBA. All right, so this is D. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> is it D? I don't know. I, I think it's... It sounds like D. A, dif- a, a different... Now what's this? Is this E? Oh. <laughs> okay, let's <laughs> stop for a second. That's enough. <laughs> All right, I think we're at least at a D and maybe at an E. I think you might be right. Now, now we have to decide as a group... Uh, are we at D or E? I'd have to be sitting at a keyboard or something to figure that out. I mean, at this at this point, <laughs> I I think that's I would call that an E, where the song where you just pause the song. Um, but you know, we're already so we've we we went off the Abacab tracks at the second B. <laughs> right. <laughs> we we could say that that whole section, that instrumental section that we just came through, we can put that all as a D. I actually have the explanation here. Uh-oh. Come on, come on, man. Don't, don't ruin it oh, again. Yeah, let's read the okay. last page first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so are we sticking with D or are we going to E? I, I think E. I think we're on E. Okay, Gabe, write down E. I got it. A, B, A, B, C, D, E. Ooh. Now we're going to go back to A, I believe. Yeah. Okay. I'm running on paper here. <laughs> Write smaller like you're writing happy birthday. Okay, start with a big ass A, big ass B, smaller A. Okay, so 
be. F. <laughs> F. Are you sure? Yeah. Yes. And this goes to the, all the way to the end of the song, right? Which surprises me because there's like three minutes left. Yeah. That's what I, I'm saying. I can't believe this was a radio. Well, the radio. Was there, was there not? There must have been a radio edit where this the ra- faded out. Yeah. The radio edit goes right back to part A without the vocal and it fades out. Oh, it does it. It cuts out most of this jam. Right. It goes back to. Which, in all fairness, wasn't limited to prog rock bands trying to get pop hits because they did the same thing with My Sharona. They cut out half the fucking guitar solo in that song for the single end. Yeah. They did that to Golden Earring with Twilight Zone. It's something Mm -hmm. that. Okay. So we're there. I guess we can turn this off. Uh, Now, Gabe, what do we have? How how do you pronounce it? (laughs) They're. It would never fly. Abab Kadiev. Abab Kadiev. Not a good album title. Abab <laughs> I mean, if, if and if we decided not to go with the the E section, that we it could be Abab Kadabe, which is is a little bit easier to say. Yeah. The talking. With an F at the end. Abab Kadabev. No, if we, if we decide that the F section is E, it's easier to say. Abab Kadabe. Abab Kadabe. Yeah, I could, I could see it. They could do that. Yeah, that wouldn't Abab. be the worst. Abab Kadabe. <laughs> yeah, sure. That wouldn't be the worst, you know, title for I mean, record. you know, they have been working on this reunion tour for a bit now. Like, maybe rehearsals... You know, maybe the coronavirus thing is just kind of a front and rehearsals have been held up because they are trying to be more honest about the structure of that song when they sing it. And that's, you know, there's probably some internal arguments within the band about what, how, you know, like, sure, which letters they should be singing. Right. Management gets involved and it's like, look, we don't care. Like, you got a hit. Why would you change? It's like, we don't, why would we come back and do the same thing? Abab Kadeb. The track was regularly performed on the band's 1981 Abacab tour, well, of course, uh-huh. and also the 1982 Three Sides Live Encore tour, and the Mama tour, and the 86-87 Invisible Touch tours. On those first two tours, Phil Collins would sing the chorus in a high falsetto, while Banks and Rutherford sang the lower harmonies. For the later tours, Collins would sing the chorus in a lower octave, while Rutherford sang the high falsetto harmonies. Now, here's where it gets wild. Genesis okay. rehearsed the song for the 2007 reunion, but it was not included in the final set list. Can you imagine these fuckers what come I'll back out you. in 2007 and don't bother playing Abacab? But, but, it's it's the Genesis internal it's do. the internal yeah. arguments about yeah. what the song structure was. Right, exactly. <laughs> what was the reason? Is it don't they give a reason like he was singing it and he goes I, I can't relate to this song or he gave some bullshit answer like I can't relate to this song anymore it's like it's called Abacab <laughs> well fascinatingly to me Mike is Mike Rutherford's 2006 interview where he tries to explain the whole title of the song and the song structure he said the title was taken from an early version of the right. song and the way it was okay. structured All right. 
And he says that there, but none of, none of the rest of what he says makes any sense to me. He says there are three bits of music in Abacab and we refer to them as bit A, uh, and then in, in brackets, correcting self, which I don't know what that means. In, oh, like in he was correcting words. himself. Oh, Just right. It, Sorry. Interview. He yeah. corrects himself and says section A, section B, and section C. And at different times, they were in a different order. We'd start with section A and then have section C and then have section and then Mike Rutherford pauses. Uh, and at one point in time, it's spelled Abacab. And you've got the final version where it's not that at all. It's like... A C A C A C U C U B U B U G A, which I think is just him, just you know, being. You would, kind you of would funny. never, you would never invoke a section U unless you were trying right. to be funny, <laughs> right? No, no, right. Which do be you be? Sounds it's to all me. making sense now. It's all making sense now. They're they're screwing with us. They wrote the song. They had the chorus, you know, in mind, and they were, you know, not, you know phonetically saying it and then they switch it around and but they can't change it after that it's already the hook right right unless they said abacadabe <laughs> it's probably it's probably like for the better that the internet really didn't exist uh, much <laughs> around this general time because imagine like the fan arguments <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right i can I, I not only can i imagine i'm sure they, it, I I'm think sure we they just still exist it. yeah <laughs> Where is? Did they say pig fool in this song? Or are they talking about? Oh, I don't fly? think so. Well, I, I think we. Uh, I don't know if we we solved anything, but we. I feel like we we did something. The uh, the guy that I mentioned earlier, the um, the user on progarchives.com, uh, who said that um, it's going to get better, is an utterly incoherent, impotent Frankenstein of half baked ideas. I'll say this: he also said it's. It's very self-fulfilling that Genesis ended their record with that song because it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a genius. Who is this? Robert Criscow? <laughs> I, it's it, it might have been Criscow. It's whoever it was had umlauts in their username. Oh, <laughs> that's that's always means something good. There should be umlauts in Abacab somewhere. Oh right, over the U in uh, yeah. in Mike Rutherford's explained version. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I guess that's... that's we did it. We, we did, did something. It. We did it. Thanks for uh, wasting some time with us, Steve. Uh, it was my pleasure. Once, um, you know, once we're all able to congregate more freely, uh, I look forward to starting a Genesis cover band with you called Abacadabe. I'm, I'm in. I'm totally in. Do we you... only have to do the one song. It's fine. Yeah, perfect. That's great. Good night. Abacadabe. <laughs> Doom. Doom.
All right. 